Hi, I'm Jennifer Zollett. And I'm Larkin Bell. Welcome to our podcast, A Female Lens. Today, we discuss women in film in the news at Sundance, since we're at the Sundance Film Festival. Then, we interview film composer Jesse Nelson. Stay tuned. Welcome to this week's Women in Film in the News. It's going to be Sundance edition because we're currently at the festival and having an amazing time and also want to report on some Women in Film in the News here. Tessa Thompson announced a new initiative from Time's Up. It's called the 4% Challenge, and it's to encourage filmmakers to pledge to work with a female director in the next 18 months to overturn the statistic of female directors comprising of only 4% of the top 100 studio films, mm-hmm. which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of buzz around that. And I think hopefully people make that pledge and it becomes a reality and more people give opportunity to women to direct their films at that level, at that level. Totally. Yeah. I've definitely been seeing a lot of tweets about it. So I hope it, it transcends <laughs> the, the Twitterverse and, and comes into reality. But I think it's a great initiative and I hope that um, this visibility at least makes a difference in that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we also we attended this uh, panel called Making the Invisible Visible um, at the festival. And while we're at the panel, Dr. Stacey Smith of the Annenberg Inclusion Initiative um, basically spoke about a couple of findings that her, she and her colleagues found through um, partnering with Sundance and analyzing their data and their submission data and, and who is, you know, submitting their films, et cetera. Um, so we wanted to kind of touch base on a couple of things with that. Uh, on a promising note, number of women who submitted dramatic films to Sundance rose by over 50% since 2009, which is awesome and great. And yay, more women making films. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, the number of female filmmakers drops massively, moving from independent c- cinema to top grossing films. Um, one third of Sundance's U.S. dramatic features were directed by women, compared with only 4% of those annual 100 top grossing films. So while they are making a great show at Sundance, um, there's still that discrepancy. Exactly. They found that women of color are still the most underrepresented group, leading just 7.4% of Sundance's dramatic features and less than 1% of top grossing films. So, yeah, that's still. Yeah. And Dr. Smith kind of kept coming back to that point of Mm. the pipeline. Right. Really being the the main focus and and where that energy should be put um, in order to actually make a change. It sounds like a lot of female filmmakers are getting the support at mm-hmm. the the lab level or, or you know, the, the workshop. Yeah, at that level. But mm-hmm. when we're getting to those top grossing films, it's really dropping off. Exactly. So I guess it just, you know, comes down to that money. Yes, it does. <laughs> but speaking of money, Mindy Kaling's film Late Night sold to Amazon Studios for $13 million, which is a record at the Sundance Film Festival. Woo! Yeah. So that's very exciting. Very exciting. So exciting that um, 
We couldn't see the film. We could not, <laughs> but uh, looks like we'll be able to sometime yes. in this next year, hopefully. We'll celebrate at yeah. another time. Yeah. Overall, there's definitely a lot of energy and buzz at the festival surrounding female filmmakers, which is really exciting to see and be a part of and witness. And we've seen a lot of films directed and written by women, mm-hmm. which is very inspiring for us personally. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel motivated. And yeah, I definitely feel the energy and I really hope that it yeah again just transcends the festival um this obviously is a special time where like a lot of people are gathering together for these stories and Mm -hmm. to witness that creativity but i guess the change really can't be made unless it goes you know beyond this exactly do you know what i want for valentine's day the list is too long i want wine from vinavor oh yes we love vinavor it's a wine and good shop located in los angeles california and Vinavor offers Beast Box gift boxes, which are perfect for anybody or any occasion. And they offer different price tiers starting at $25, and they're happy to put something custom together for you as well. Yeah, they can accommodate special event packages for weddings, showers, bachelorette parties, corporate events, entertainment wraps, etc. Basically, you name it, and they'll make it happen. So check them out in store or online at vino 4com And now here's our interview with film composer Jesse Nelson. To continue our Sundance theme, we discovered her last year at the festival and loved her music so much that we wanted her to compose our music for the podcast, which she generously did. Please enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jesse. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, we're so excited. (laughs) So thank you. What was your musical training growing up? Did you have a good music program at your school? and Or what was the gateway to pursuing a music uh, career? Sure, 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 sure. So um, <clears throat> when I was two, we're going way back. Let's go back. Let's do it. <laughs> when I was two, I like picked up little tunes from church and started playing them on the piano. Scared the crap out of my mom. Oh, are we allowed to cuss on this, by the way? Okay, okay. Yeah. Anyway, scared her to death because, you know, that's not like normal behavior of a two-year-old. Usually they're like slamming on the piano. And uh, so we started lessons pretty early. Um, and I stuck through with them all the way through college. So like 20 plus years. And uh, in high school, we had an AP theory class. And the professor there, his name was Mr. Larson. He was the most amazing, like, influential person for me all, you know, up until college about. And uh, he sort of alerted me that film scoring was, like, a thing. Because I knew I wanted to do it when I was 10. I watched Meet Joe Black and just was, like, sobbing through this movie. And, like, which is not a normal reaction, usually, of a 10-year-old. Also, I was way too young to be watching that movie. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I kept rewinding it to this, like, one spot. And just sobbing. And then I looked at my best friend and my parents and I was like, I'm going to do that. Like, that's what I want to do. So I knew from a very young age, but I just kind of thought that you were like, you become a composer and then you just kind of do it, (laughs) which (laughs) how naive. Um, But uh, yeah. So in high school, he was like, no, film scoring is a thing. And I was like, oh, really? And uh, undergrad, UW-Milwaukee did music composition and technology and then took a year off and then went to grad school at Columbia in Chicago, which was specifically in film scoring. And now I'm here. Just to follow up on that question. So, yeah, yeah, amazing. I mean, those teachers are, you know, the special teachers are the ones that really do inspire you. And it is crazy. What was what was so special about him that inspired you to to look more into music and to dig into that? I think his passion for music in general 
was just so like uh what's the word like contagious you know and he really cared about his students and it wasn't just like okay this is another music class here's choir you know it was really like how can I help you become a better student a better musician um what is it that you want to pursue and he he gave real feedback it wasn't just like oh you're gonna be a star you know (laughs) and uh which is really important because I think um a lot of the times people can give like false I don't want to say false hope that sounds really harsh but you know what I mean like the best thing you can do for somebody who's a young musician is give them raw and honest feedback you know because you don't want to give them a sense of like I'm gonna just go out to LA and become the next big thing and like because you know sometimes that happens but very very rarely um and he made me aware of the fact that like there are very few women film composers and it's gonna be a struggle and I didn't quite understand at the time I was like it'll be fine you know (laughs) but uh and but then I like I remember going home and like searching for women film composers and like I found two and it was Shirley Walker and Rachel Portman of course and uh and then and then I was like oh this is like a real thing but then it didn't really stick with me until I got here in 2017, you were one of six composers to participate in the highly competitive Sundance Institute Music and Sound Design Labs, and you also recently participated in the 2018 ASCAP Film Scoring Workshop. What was your experience at these workshops like? They are, I think, the two best possible workshops you can ever do in film scoring. Um, and I say that biased, of course, but <laughs> but I I learned so m- I mean, they're both kind of like their own unique boot camps for film scoring. And I took so much from what I learned from both back with me to, you know, working every day. Um, so they're, they're a bit different from each other. So the Sundance one, you go to Skywalker Ranch for two weeks, which is like my my driver which makes me sound spoiled as I'll get out me as my driver um when we pulled up to Skywalker Ranch I just started sobbing (laughs) and he was like this happens more often than you'd think I'm like yeah yeah so I just cried like the whole time um (laughs) but that was already I was like okay this is something very very special um and so the first week you get um mentors that come in so like big names we had uh george clinton and harry gregson williams and thomas newman and christoph beck all of which i was like okay don't pass out when you meet these people like be a professional (laughs) and thomas newman is the reason i'm a composer so i he was like the ultimate for me um and they have you sort of you know rescore um previous scenes that they've done and then they just sort of critique it for you and give you great great feedback but yeah it's terrifying and the way we do it is like you're in this big theater and they're just like okay and now your turn and I'm like (laughs) I'm gonna go have a panic attack but that's great that's great um but it's it's good because that's what it's really like you know when you're presenting work to a director or producer whoever it's suddenly like you feel super tiny in a huge room and you're like, <laughs> please like my work. <laughs> um, so that was, I mean, you know, the things that you learn from them are things that you'll keep with you forever. And just getting to be in their presence is like, I remember just eating lunch with them and I was like, is this really happening? Like, do we, this is normal? <laughs> um, and then the second week you get paired with a filmmaker and you go through a couple scenes in the movie and you decide which ones you want to score. And so it's a very quick turnaround because then we record while we're there too with a live orchestra. 
yeah so it's it's all i definitely slept in the what are they called? They're called the tech building i think <laughs> i slept overnight a couple nights to get the cues done because i was just like <laughs> but uh yeah i got paired with nigela nigela mumin which i we stuck she hired me on afterwards which was very generous and kind of her and uh that was how the whole gin film thing happened and so yeah we got paired together there just by chance so yeah did not realize that was the yeah that was (laughs) that's amazing so that was really great yeah and then um the ASCAP one it takes place in LA and it's they do like sessions I think it's Monday through Thursday uh in the afternoon or at night so that you can essentially work throughout the day and yeah I mean they take you around to like the top studios and you get to talk to a bunch of top composers and like the business side of it um and it's all leading up to this massive recording session at 20th century fox and (laughs) which is terrifying and awesome (laughs) it's like a i think it's it's like 60 piece orchestra or something i mean it's huge and um there's 12 of us and there's four scenes so three of us are scoring the same scene so it's really cool to see like everybody's different interpretation and uh yeah and that one was really great too that one was about a month and yeah i mean you get to walk away with a beautiful demo and again more things learned that you'll just keep with you for forever so yeah they're both and both very intense but but 100 percent worth it and i would recommend like literally everybody please apply (laughs) (laughs) go apply especially women because yeah it's really important to get in there there were only two women in the ascap one this year and there's 12 so hmm. yeah were there any women at the sundance one yeah it was uh it was half and half it Great. was but yeah it was really cool yeah we're learning so much about the world of film scoring through you and just in general and our you know <laughs> desire to learn more about filmmaking but what is the collaborative process like between you and both the director and the instrumentalists who record the music sure. um and what is your favorite part of that collaboration the collaborative process, of course, it's different for every person you work with. Some people like to bring you in early with the script, which I, I like because, you know, we start to get a sense of what they want for music right away. Um, and you can pretty much avoid temp love, which is when um, sometimes if we get a film later, it's been temped. And that means there are temporary music tracks already placed in there to sort of give like the feel or, you know, an idea of what they're hoping for. And it's scary because they can get really attached to it. And then it's like, okay, well, now I have to sort of copy somebody, which, of course, you know, you always find your own way of interpreting it and not copying it. But it's it's a (laughs) can be a bit of a debacle sometimes. Um, So I like to be involved super early. Uh, And one of the first things we do, if even with a script, uh, which makes it a little bit different, but generally speaking, we get some form of picture and then we go through and do what's called spotting session. And that is basically just going through the film and talking about where you want music and what you want the music to do. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of like where everything starts and then <laughs> which is the most important. And then, um, yeah, it just consists of like sending cues back and forth and getting approval, saying what does or doesn't work. And I always think it's really important. If somebody, you know, dismisses a cue, which is totally fine, of course. Um, the first thing I like to usually ask is like, okay, is there anything about it that is working? Because sometimes <laughs> there will be, somebody might have like a sensitivity to something. Like, let's say 
woodwinds. For some reason, they hate woodwinds, which is fine. But if you have woodwinds in your queue, they hear that and they're immediately like, no, I hate it. And then you're like, well, let me take out the woodwinds. And then suddenly they're like, oh, my gosh, it's perfect. So it's something like, you know, as simple as just taking something out instead of rewriting an entire queue. Um, where the hell was I going with that? <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, it's always good to just keep checking in about the story because essentially we're also just trying to tell the story. Um, and it's important to make sure you're telling the same story. <laughs> uh, and I personally... If it allows for it, I like to work backwards in the film. So for Jin, I actually scored the last scene first. And the reason I did that is because there's sort of a, a buildup and then a payoff. And with that, I feel like if I do the big cue at the end, it can inform the rest of the score, taking like little bits and pieces from it so that it feels earned like once we get there. Um, now, you can't always do that because some films end not with a payoff or just differently. Um, but that's how I like to do it. Yeah. Is there another part of the question? Just your favorite part of the collaboration. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, I think just figuring out the story together, I think it's really exciting because then, well, yes, okay, my favorite part is watching the director tell the story because you can tell what things they're sensitive to or what things they're maybe worried about, and then you can be like, and you know, it's like, okay, well, maybe I can help with that. Maybe I can ease their mind a bit with the music. Um, oh, and the recording. Yes. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> I love recording sessions. I love them. I There's like a certain buzz that happens when you record with live instruments and live actual physical people. <laughs> um, it's something very, very special. I, I don't know how to explain it in words, but I'll have to bring you guys into a session sometime because it's just like there's like this <laughs> there's this buzz that's just infectious and it's incredible um and I really really like to at least have one live element in every score because it just brings that little bit something else to it that wasn't English <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and all the musicians I've worked with I mean like from the ASCAP scoring workshop, which is the Hollywood Orchestra. They, I mean, those are like the best players in the world. It's scary. The music you can give them and they sight read it and it's perfect. And you're just like, but I thought that was impossible. No, no, <laughs> they're fine. They've got it. Um, and then like I recorded Jin in uh, Berkeley, California with these two different groups that they, I think they work together sometimes, but one of them is One Found Sound. They're like a smaller ensemble. I think we had like 20 players with them and then the Amaranth Quartet and they were amazing and they were so easy to work with. I remember in the recording session, I felt kind of stupid because I just kept going, okay, that was great. I have no notes, Lane. <laughs> and then I was like, man, I feel like I'm not doing my job, but uh, they were just that good. Um, and they didn't have a conductor, which was really cool too. Uh they had click, of course, which I don't know if you know about that, but um, when we're recording cues for films, there's generally like a metronome click going in their ears so that they can make sure that they're matching what's ever on the screen. Um, so they had that, but they didn't have a conductor. I thought that was so cool. <laughs> yeah. I have a question about um, like what you use for inspiration or when talking with a director, sure. how do you develop the sound of a film? 
Um, that's a good question. Of course, also it depends on each film. Um, for Jin specifically, I knew that we could do themes for the for different characters. So, and that was really exciting because you know not a lot of films allow you to actually develop themes throughout the entire film. Um, Sorry, I'm gonna burp again. <laughs> um, so that was that was really special that I got to do that, and I'm I'm a very like thematic writer as it is, so that was that was nice for me. Um, and we were for this one, we were sort of informed by you know, what we were recording with it at the Sundance Labs. But the overall sound, something we talked about right away was like, we want, okay, backing up a bit. The most important thing to always tell a director or, or ask, I shouldn't say tell, but ask of a director is to speak in terms of emotion, of drama, because that's how we're going to learn. Like, it, uh, <laughs> I had one I've worked with somebody I well, of course won't say who which they didn't do anything wrong they were fabulous and wonderful to work with um but they loved to try and use music terms which is always scary because and it's not that they're using them wrong but you know they could mean something very different in their head than what the actual term means or what I'm interpreting it as so talking about emotions is the first thing and so Nigella was you know right away like we want to focus on summer we want to focus on her sort of crisis identity and then her youth but her um growing and coming of age and all of that so the sound was just kind of based on that um I have these synths going that are very subtle they're just kind of in the back but they're supposed to feel like you're breathing because I feel like a lot of the t you know the in the film she she's just put through the ringer and so I wanted to bring this um sense of of air and like and, and breath and then her theme it was just her theme and developing it throughout and that was that was kind of the sound yeah so when we went to Sundance last year we were of course inspired by all the films but we were especially inspired by the music in the trailer that played before each film which you composed. Oh boy. Can you tell us a little bit about the process of creating that trailer music and the feedback you received from everyone at the festival? Sure yeah um thank you first of all that's very kind of you. <laughs> that was a crazy sort of experience um I had about I think like a day and a half to write it and get it approved. Yeah, it was it was like the turnaround was insane. Um and so yeah, I spent about I don't know 36 hours or something awake and just like I knew <laughs> I knew that I wanted something catchy. Like I wanted them like people to be walking around and, and humming it. And so then I was like, well okay, I'll literally hum something. Um and Again, with a turnaround like that, I don't really have time to second guess myself. So it was just kind of like, okay, well, <laughs> I'm going to do, I want something that's welcoming, but that's also like, we're here for something special. Like this is Sundance, this ain't no joke, you know? <laughs> um, and also <laughs> I tend to write really sad music unintentionally. So I was like, of course, also don't be sad. Don't write sad music. <laughs> like you want people crying before the film. Um, <laughs> There also, I don't think I realized, because I had never been to Sundance before until last year, um, I didn't realize it was going to be the trailer that played before all the films, which is a good thing, because had I known that, 
I think I would have, I don't know, just done something totally different or safe, something safe, because this was quite new for me. This was quite outside the box, because generally speaking, I'm like an orchestral writer. So <laughs> so humming is not something I generally do. Um, but yeah, it was it was a quick turnaround. And the, the feedback was surprising and very kind. I got a lot of like Twitter and Instagram shout outs. And um, the director of Sundance was like, it's the theme forever. Like. <laughs> It was really sweet, and Octavia Spencer was humming it at the award show, which I, I sobbed like a baby when somebody sent that to me. I was like, what? <laughs> um, and I got, yeah, I got like, I don't know, a dozen emails or so about like, you know, projects or wanting to work together in the future or whatever, and it was yeah, very, very surprising, very sweet. Uh, it's just weird to think back. That was like a year ago. <laughs> And I was humming in my little, my bedroom at, you know, four in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Keep mentioning this, the trusting yourself and like the, the instincts that you have and like going with that. <laughs> Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I feel like that is such a part of the filmmaking sure, experience. Yeah. But I'm curious yeah. what that's like from a composer's perspective. Um, For me personally, <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh. God, this is, I'm not selling myself very well here, but I'm like super insecure, you know, about, about my music and whether or not it's doing the job well enough or if it's conveying the emotions it needs to. So I am somebody who second guesses quite often. Um, again, this is all behind the scenes. So like nobody, <laughs> nobody sees it except for me and like my cat, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, of struggle. Cause like I, I put a lot of myself into the scores you know um and I'm always like well, okay I'm putting so much of myself into it but when I put it out there if it's not getting an emotional response like oh god am I doing this right or like is the <laughs> am I cut out for this um and sometimes time can be your enemy if you have too much of it which is crazy to say because generally speaking <laughs> we don't get a lot of time to do you know, to, to write scores, which is fine. Um, but sometimes, yeah, time is not your friend because then you can second, triple and quadruple guess yourself. And then suddenly you've written like four different films and like, <laughs> um, so it depends. Whereas like working on TV series and things, uh, the turnaround is super quick, like, you know, one episode per week, which is a lot of music to write in a week. And, um, and so, yeah, you don't have time to second guess yourself. It's like, you put something in and you're like, okay, got to go with it. Got to make it good. Got to make it work. And, you know, they don't always turn out, but, but you, you find a way, you know, somehow. Um, I think it's a lot like, I always think of acting and like when actors are building up to like, you know, the big scene where they have to be emotional or cry or whatever. And it's like, is it going to happen today? Like, <laughs> am I going to be able to get there? I don't know. You're, you, yeah, you're both I actors. Feel that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, you know, totally. I mean, it's, it's, it's scary. How else is it different working on television than film? I mean, turnaround is <laughs> a lot of it. Um, I think, you know, 10 years ago or more, uh, there was this sort of like stigma about, being a TV composer and being a film composer and like they're separate things which I don't really think that's so much of a thing anymore because I think back then TV sort of had a specific sound I couldn't really tell you exactly what it was but there <laughs> but there's like a, a TV and, and I'm doing this in air quotes uh, a TV sound and then a film sound um 
but now TV has become so cinematic that essentially, it, you know, it just all kind of sort of feels the same. Um, cause some of the, some of the shows I've worked on, like Lego Star Wars pff, is huge music, you know, it was massive and, and super complex music that you're like, but this is a TV, this is a kid's animated show, but it's like, yeah, <laughs> those are usually the ones that actually require the most work. It's insane. Um, so the line has been blurred, I think. I don't think there's so much of a separation. The stats aren't great for nope. women composers. Nope. I think it's like 2% yeah. of all films yeah. in the last um, like 10 years. And, it's really bad. And 02 for like women of color. Yeah, yeah. Which is crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, what has your experience been? I mean, in light of those stats. It's a bumpy road. Um, there are so many horror stories. Uh, and I think... You know, I always worry, just kind of what we were talking about before with the co-composer thing is like, I know so many women uh, composers who are additional writers, and I'm just like, I worry about getting stuck there for forever, because I'm currently, you know, additionally writing full-time right now, and it's like, and, and I'm I'm very happy where I am, but I, I look at some of my colleagues who, you know, who've been there for years and years and years, and I'm just like... Is it because they're choosing to stay? And if that's the case, that's fine. That's great. You know, you do you. Um, but is it because they're not being given these opportunities to move forward? And that's an issue. And that worries me. And I hope it starts to get better. But <laughs> I guess we'll see. We are we are moving forward very slowly, but we're moving forward. What would be your dream project to work on? Period drama. Ooh. I love like Joe Wright, his films, Pride and Prejudice, Atonement, all, all the, you know, Anna Karenina. I think those pieces of film are so stunning. And Dario Marinelli's the composer who is just like the most incredible. I can't even wrap my brain around his scores. Um, I would love to do period drama and really dive into that, that sound. I just love it. Like it feels like home for me. Um, but I also want to be... I don't know if this is for vanity purposes or not, but I want to do like big blockbuster action movies too, because we don't have a lot of women represented in the Egypt. We have very, very few. And like, I'm super excited that finally there's a Marvel film being composed by a woman. <laughs> Yay, Pino Topra. Um which, which film is that? That's Captain Marvel. Oh. Yeah, we got a lady in there. <laughs> um... So yeah, I want to do big blockbuster films, but I also, because for the longest time, I always said I wanted to do animation, which still stands true. I, I love animation. I think it's, writing for those films is so exciting. Writing, I should say writing music. I get in trouble saying that all the time. They're like, oh, you're a writer too? I'm like, no, 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 sorry. <laughs> writing music for those films, I think is just so fun. And it's, I mean, it's a lot of work, but the music really is something special in a lot of those films. I think people probably, aside from Star Wars, <laughs> can, you know, hum back the themes from animated films more than, let's say, like The Imitation Game or something, which is a stunning and brilliant score. But, you know, if you ask somebody to hum the theme from, like, How to Train Your Dragon, they're like, got it. Like, <laughs> up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Oh, the first 10 minutes of that film just <laughs> destroys me. It's bad. 
We end every interview with a rapid response segment oh, yes. called three, two, one action. So just you can answer with a word or a phrase just to kind oh, of gosh. quickly capture your thoughts. Okay. Um, right? <laughs> I might be really bad at this. Okay. It'll be great. <laughs> Number three, a film that has been one of your most influential or favorites or mm. a powerful one. Meet Joe Black. Two, dream person you want to work with. Composer Thomas Newman, director Joe Wright. One, best advice you've ever received. Care less. Action. What are you most looking forward to right now? I am excited to see women start coming out of the, you know, getting their name in front more and more and more in not in just composing, but filmmaking across the board. Where can people find you on the internet? It's at J Nelly Bags. And where can people find your music? So SoundCloud. I have a SoundCloud. Also my website, which is just jessynelson.com. Fantastic. Thanks so much for chatting with us, Thank you. Thank you. Had a hoot. You can find us at afemalelens.com and at afemalelens on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at afemalelens at gmail.com. And you can download the show anywhere you listen to podcasts and on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you left us a review. Our theme song was composed by Jesse Nelson. Our logos are by Megan Cafferty. This podcast is produced by Jennifer Zollett and Larkin Bell.